Hello, and welcome. Uh, this is Edgar Papke. This is Ken Sagendorf. Welcome to the True Alignment Podcast. We're live here in the uh, Innovation Incubator in the Innovation Center in the Anderson College of Business at Regis University in Denver, Colorado. Yeah, coming to you live uh, on this uh, Martin Luther King Day. And um, yeah, we're going to invite you, as always, to the conversation. Uh, please go ahead and chime in. A quick shout out to some of our friends and listeners in Canada and Australia and the Netherlands. Want to say hello to y'all and uh, thanks for uh, thanks for being listeners and uh, for making the downloads you do. So thanks very much. Five episodes in, Edgar, you've become an international sensation already. <laughs> <laughs> As oh. always, we welcome. Oh, your wow. <laughs> As always, we welcome your questions and thoughts. Um, we're a little bit punchy. We're very caffeinated here this morning. Um, uh, and we're excited about this topic. Yeah, we're going to be talking about the, uh, what, what, uh, what we commonly refer to as culture in organizations and in companies. It's a, a, it's, it's a key aspect of how it is that we look at alignment and alignment in organizations and the influence of leadership in organizations and this idea of what is culture and being able to answer that question we have found over over the last several decades in doing alignment work that most leaders talk a pretty good game of culture. They don't really know how to define it very well. In other words, the common language is let's get the right people on the bus. And when we ask leaders to really, when we challenge them to describe what their bus and life on the bus looks like, that's where, that's where they begin to struggle. And of course that shows up in organizations in a lot of different ways because of the importance of culture and what it represents for people, yeah. yeah. So much has been written about it, Edgar, and and it's uh it's increased in its uh, pace and speed of of publication release right now. Uh, information around culture, and then you know throw in what we began the podcast with is the conversation about the Great Resignation, or as we call it, the Great Alignment. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, people are puzzling about culture more and more and more. So I have a question for you right away. Especially during the, during the last couple of years with the pandemic, it's one of the key questions that we get at the True Alignment Company is, you know, how do we how do we continue or how do we manifest a culture as people as more and more people go remote in their work and aren't aren't as connected every day to the ebbs and flows of life with others. So when you were working with uh with Tom Lockwood on the Innovation by Design book, mm -hmm. um, you did a big, uh, a big study of innovative organizations, right? And, and you, um, remind me, 30, 30? 20, well, twenty one companies uh, participated in the, in the study, mm -hmm. and and you found out some things about culture. I, I'm going to bring you into talking about. We need to. I think it's important now that we lay out the true alignment framework again. Okay. Um, because as we talk about kind of the results of that study, as we talk about culture, so, you know, Edgar, working backwards on the framework, you, you talk about um, what the customer experiences because of the product or service of the organization. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you work backwards to their brand intention. Yes, pretty much so. And how do, I how do we identify with the brand and how do we actually articulate it in a way that uh, influences the customer and aligns to the customer need, desire, what it is that they're seeking, the, um, the emotional fulfillment and what's motivating them. And how do we align the internal experience within the organization, the organizational context or its culture? 
And how do we align the patterns of behavior and the nuances of what's really acceptable, non-acceptable behavior, um, which defines the culture? And how do you align that so that the experience of employees, or what now we call the EX, is in alignment to the CX, the customer experience? And that applies to any industry, any business that you're in, any organization that you're in, whether it's in for-profit, profit, government, uh, learning institutions like here at the university. Yeah. Yeah, and then you talk about how the leadership the leadership also aligns with that yeah. culture, mm-hmm. um, that employee experience or EX, as you call it. Yeah, and there's something just in that alone that I find to be very interesting that we see over and over, and that is when we ask leaders to define their cultures. Uh, very often what we do is we get an interpretation of what they aspire the organization to be and what they aspire the culture to be. And then we find and discover through uh, working with managers and employees that their experience is actually different. In other words, the reality of the culture is different than what leadership aspires it to be. And that gap in itself influences the level of trust that employees have. I, th- I think in this idea of the, the um, so much of the great alignment or the great resignation, as it's commonly known, is, is in fact people looking to find environments, uh, being with other people in environments that have less anxiety and stress and less fear attached to them. And I think part of that is an understanding that it's not just about having a sense of flexibility and autonomy, and the two are actually quite different when we when we break them down, but rather that they're in environments that they really enjoy and that they feel comfortable in and that they feel valued in. Yeah, I think that's so important. You know, we often talk about, you know, and um, one organization I know is, is they get caught on a conversation about uh, their employee satisfaction. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. And, 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 can you explain as you, as you, um, Edgar, I'd like you to put you on the spot here and just clearly define what is culture. Okay. We begin with a pretty simple definition. I think all of the definitions, first and foremost, all the definitions of culture that we've seen through the years are good. They're, they really do. They do work. Uh, at the end of the day, what we do is we look at it through the lens of really what, what defines um, success within the culture. And success, not just from a performance standpoint, also success of how my behavior aligns to the values, the beliefs, and, and the norms of the environment of the culture. So the simple definition of culture is uh, that it defines really how we individually and collectively create success. And with that, then, you take it another step further and say through that lens, you begin to understand what's acceptable and unacceptable behavior in that that then gives definition to the values and beliefs. In other words, words like collaboration, integrity, and more specifically trust, however we define them is really a reflection or an, a manifestation of what's acceptable, unacceptable behavior. Yeah. That manifestation is so, so important, right? So, you know, I do a lot of work here in the Innovation Center in the in the local startup community, and and startups are you know they're um, they've missed some things on culture because they came out with trying to give the experience of their employees through uh, 
beer and kombucha on tap, ping pong tables and scooters in the hallways. Like, so they, they were very intentional about creating that kind of, um, fun Mm -hmm. setting. Right. But the setting isn't enough because it's the behaviors that get modeled and reinforced. Yeah, and, and certain cultures are going to manifest different uh, requirements around performance and how people are intended to use their time. And w- as an example, one company uh, went through all the expense and all the work of taking a good part of their building and turning it into a community a space. And so they added ping pong tables, they added foosball tables, they did all the things that you typically imagine they would do. And the CEO was very proud of it. And so as we're touring the building, he took me to the community space. And uh, and there was the great coffee machine. The, the snacks were all over the place. There was even a cooler in the corner with beer and wine in it uh, for Friday afternoons or celebrations. And uh, the interesting thing about it is as he's, as he's showing me around this community space with such great pride, I just, ref- I just pointed out to him that there's nobody in there except for the two of us. And when we walked in, uh, there was only there were only a couple of people getting coffee, and that's about it. So it's interesting that we need to be able to understand that certain um, forms of motivation that are out of alignment with really how the culture and how the organization and how people interpret the culture to be actually can have a negative effect in some way. Because later on, as I asked a couple of people in the organization what they thought of the community space, they just kind of shrugged and said, "I don't know. I don't spend a lot. I don't really spend any time there. Once in a while, the team goes to have a beer. That's about it." You know, I think organizations, uh, and I said, "You know," and you've been calling me out on that one. So I'm going to try <laughs> and do better on that. The uh, organizations. It's so funny because I, I work. I've worked with so many teachers over the years to talk about how we, it's not what you intend to do to students, it's what the students actually do that that make the conditions ripe for learning. Mm-hmm. In an educational space, that is one of the hardest things to get, especially a college professor to understand, mm-hmm. that you are designing an experience. Right. And the lived experience mm-hmm. is the reality, whether you like to do it or not. And you know, we see professors often act like CEOs where they say, well, I intended this to happen. Right. But it's disconnected slightly from the lived experience. Yeah. Well, one of the things, and you, you brought up before, you know, the, the true alignment framework in of itself is um, it's helpful in interpreting and understanding that, um, just that alone, to, to be able to interpret what is an experience and what, what motivates people within the, uh, the experience. And you said something really powerful before, powerful before, and that was using the word, you know, satisfaction and customer satisfaction. So I think one of the most important aspects of, of having a, system, uh, a systems thinking approach to this is to look at it through the lens of what is human-centered design and what really is the core of our human experience. Because what's at the core of the human experience are our needs, our desires, and those are what motivate us. And satisfaction is, in fact, the fulfillment of a desire or need. It's also what we use as the dimensions of trust in understanding a culture, understanding a customer and employee experience, and what those common threads are. 
So what we do is we look at it through the lens of that there's three distinct dimensions of trust. And they are so, so natural to who we are. They're also, in fact, the source of all conflict in our interpersonal relationships in our lives. And they show up in all relationships, whether it's partnerships, marriages, work relationships, community, etc. And the three, the three dimensions of trust, one is the idea of mutual respect, which shows up through how you listen to me and how you pay attention to me, how you ask me to participate, how you include me. And the fear, the underlying fear in the experience is the fear of being ignored and not being heard and not being paid attention to. The second form of trust we talk about is this idea of feeling success or feeling competent. In other words, uh, we all want a a certain sense of predictability over being good and being competent. And that becomes a form of trust in both a customer experience and an employee experience. As a matter of fact, when you look at the data, it clearly shows that what employees are really seeking is to feel more included, more involved, and that they're always looking to advance and be developed in their skills and their competencies, their capabilities, so they can succeed at a higher level. And then the third form of trust is, is, is the truth, honesty, openness. And very often leaders talk about their own authenticity and striving towards vulnerability. But one of the things that's so important, we've talked about this, we talked about this just a, a bit in a previous podcast, is the idea that vulnerability isn't just that I'm authentic and vulnerable with you that you are in return vulnerable towards me. And in order for that to happen, I not just need to be vulnerable in what I share. It's also being vulnerable and open in how I listen to you and and how you feel accepted and cared for as a human being. And those are right at the core of culture. Notice how powerful those are. They are right at the core of all of our human experience. To feel a sense of value by being heard to know that others are looking out for us and helping us succeed and we help them succeed. And just simply that you're being honest with me. You're not, you're not bullshitting me. You're not withholding. You're not pulling wool over my eyes. You're just being honest with me. And those show up as being what's at the core of the customer experience. And as you can hear very clearly here, as we, as we, as we explore them, they're at the core of the employee experience. They are. And you know, if there's a simple way of, of teaching leaders, here's what you really need to pay attention to, it gets very simple. Listen, help others succeed, and be honest. Now, if, if there's ever a code of leadership, and it's in its simple and most powerful form, I would suggest to you that that's it. And when leaders behave that way, and they role model and reinforce the behaviors that align to those, then what happens is, you know, they have better, healthier cultures because that's what they're striving for. And certainly what we do discover is that cultures will gravitate towards one of those three over the others. And in customer experiences, we know that one of those three may be more important than the other. The important piece here is to know that they exist, to know how to use them, and to be able to, to again, to express them as leaders and influence the, um, the context, the environment through them. Yeah, those those concepts of uh, role modeling and reinforcing and, and, and respecting. Edgar, this is why I, I love the framework, right? I mean, working backwards from mm-hmm. exactly what what parts of those three dimensions you want the customer to experience. Yeah. And then modeling your company on those things. There's there's an example here in town. Um, 
that I'm, I'm just enamored with right now, quite honestly, to watch from the outside, and that is Guild Education. I don't know how familiar you are with them. Um, uh, Rachel Carlson, uh, female-led unicorn startup, reskilling, mm-hmm. upskilling employees. Um, having corporations actually have their employees use their education benefits to, to further their lives and further their careers. And she's paying such close attention to the culture. And if you watch, you know, I want to hope it's her. Maybe she's got somebody doing it for her, but her employees will, will post things on LinkedIn and, and she'll just, it feels like she knows every one of them and they are in high, high, fast growth mode. Um, but yeah. she's, she is reinforcing and paying attention and role modeling. We just had uh, colleagues of mine from Loyola Marymount just hosted a talk uh, with the chief people officer of Microsoft, Kathleen Hogan. Mm-hmm. And, and she really tells the story of how she was brought in and, and asked, and they're you know operating all over the world, hundreds of thousands of employees, new CEO. And, and she was asked, you know, what should the culture be? And she admitted that Microsoft had lost a little bit of a culture of innovation mm-hmm. because they had become failure averse. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and she really talked about how, because we have to remember that leaders are, they don't fail often, or at least we perceive that they don't yet. There's a, there's a high level of, of experimentation, a high level of risk taking and mistakes, failures. Well, as she shared the story uh, of the new Microsoft chair being invited to an event to honor um, women leaders in the tech space, he told the story that was completely gender biased, and she called him on that, and he owned it. Mm-hmm. He showcased his failure and what he needed to learn to go forward, and she uh-huh. pointed to that as kind of a, that was the role modeling turning point under his leadership. And, you know, I, I, I want to come back to some of the things you said, this idea of, of feeling respected. It, it is Martin Luther King Day today. And, and one of the things, you know, we've had um, in the United States, these, they feel so recent, even though time is flying by here, but, you know, you have the, the, the George Floyd yeah. tragedy. I mean, you just have a, a train of these. We could go and name. We could go and name the names, all the way through. Mm-hmm. But you know, especially the last few Martin Luther King days, where we remember this, you know, civil rights icon. We're having the same conversation over and over and over again. We are. I agree with you. That's. I think that's an experience a lot of us are are having, and that goes for a number. <laughs> of uh, social issues, a number of, uh, I would suggest to you that are, we can couch them as historical issues, um, along with, you know, last five decades of uh, denial that go not just with civil rights and uh, equality, also in uh, global uh, warming and uh, climate change and uh, the effect that we're having on our planet and the environment. These are all pieces that I would suggest to you that we have certain levels of denial about. And one of the frameworks that you see for how denial uh, shows up is that we are having 
a repetitive theme around the conversation without really taking action or uh, consistent uh, action over a period of time. And I agree with you. I think that's, that's what's happened here again, if you pay attention to the last couple of years. And then what was brought to the forefront, and I find this very much to be a culture issue, an organizational culture issue, is that some of the um, strategies that are, that are used are actually really for immediate or short-term solution building, not really designing a longer-term solution. Now, how does that play into culture? Well, we know that there's certain traits and characteristics within the culture that inform people as to what's acceptable, unacceptable behavior and how to use their power and influence. And they include things like how to get promoted and role definition, decision-making, how the decisions get made. What happens when there's actually a conflict or disagreement? And you can see within the context of an organizational culture how biases are then yielded, how people begin to have a different kind of conversation in terms of how they listen to one another. Again, it comes back to that experience. Are you listening? Are you helping me succeed? Are you being open to me and open to yourself and how you're thinking and understanding your behavior? So I think one of the ways to really come at this is to influence the culture. I, I, I don't think until business looks internally at itself and, saw, and, and does that reflection work in the mirror, and really thinks about the culture of the organization and the shifts that need to be made. And then those show up through training and development opportunities, career progression opportunities. Uh, keep in mind, and those are in alignment with what we're now looking at over the last couple of years as people are quitting their jobs at high numbers. And all the data tells us that the two things that they value most, the first one is development, and the second one is career progression. And so you start looking at that and, and coming back to the idea of how well are we establishing those systemically in a systems thinking way in our organizations. And then we discover that, once again, when we think about business and all the solutions and innovation that business provides, one has to wonder why we're not innovating better in relationship to how it is that we're intentionally articulating and developing our cultures. And what we find over and over is that conversation of itself is one of the most powerful conversations that leads to success, aligned success within an organization. So many events are coming screaming to my mind right now. You know, I, one of the things that I'm thinking about, Edgar, is the, the service industry, you know, here the fast food industry, um, we have a major strike of one of our uh, uh, grocery chains right now. Um, who was, you know, lauded at the beginning of the pandemic as essential workers, and now they're on strikes for um, not feeling taken care of. And that's more than pay, right? I mean, that's the ex that is the employee experience in a nutshell is the reason um, that we're very here. Very much so, and, you, and my mind goes very quickly to here's, here's the, uh, the after effect. Now, now it's resonating, and that quite simply uh, the, the employees – of, of City Market, of Kroger, uh, of, uh, of King Supers, uh, are probably right now feeling that during that period of time that they weren't heard. They weren't given the right support. Perhaps they weren't dealt with openly and honestly enough. And right now we're seeing the resonance of that coming back around. Well, in, in the, the service sector, 
mm-hmm. right? Which is the the biggest loss of jobs uh, month over month in the United States. You and I both have a, we have enough of a background. You as a chef and I, you know, paid my way through school, uh, waiting tables, mm-hmm. tending bar. Uh, I tell my children that I, I desire so deeply for them to have that experience once, not forever, <laughs> but once. I, you know, I, 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 yeah. such a valuable life experience, I think, to be in the service sector. But, you know, two things are happening. One, you talk about that development and career progression. Um, many of those organizations have viewed service sector employees as transient employees. Um, you know, you got a, you have a high school or you have somebody, you know, in their advanced years and they come back and they work temporarily. Mm-hmm. And as life has changed and people are making careers and they're not moving on from there, these issues of culture become more and more important for them. So here's my bad movie reference of the day. <laughs> okay. Right. And I was, I've been thinking about this one and I was uh, hard pressed not to go to the very obvious uh, example of office space for not being listened to. Right. I mean, the boss that comes in and says, you know, you, you have to work Saturday um, and there's no discussion. Right. Um, but I think that one's too easy for this conversation around culture. Uh, you know, as we talk about these service sector employees, uh, you know, we, we, we tease and you know why it was a mega hit. Dirty dancing was a, uh, a movie that, you know, would, if you have a Y chromosome, you, you're reluctant to admit that you enjoyed that movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, often, often. That was a very gender stereotype, and so I just should not have led with that. But, you, you know, in that movie, that f- feeling seen and feeling respected, uh-huh. um, because they were uh, in the service sector, yeah. they were automatically seen as a lower-class citizen. So when dealing with their issues, right, I mean, you have these scenes of them blowing off steam with one another, which is not really the crux of the movie. The crux of the movie is they were not seen. Right. And so for the need to be seen, they build their own community, which is what uh, really at the core community, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about a sense of, yeah, a sense of belonging to, to, to a great degree, Really, a community starts when people are looking to be paid attention to, when they're looking for verification. And you said something really important in that, and that's that idea of respect. When we, when we peel back at what mutual respect really is, it's that I have a, I, I, I have a trust that you're going to treat me the way I want to be treated, and you trust that I'm going to treat you the way you want to be treated. Here's the thing. I don't know how to treat you until I listen to you, until I pay attention to you. So at the core of mutual respect, and in a behavioral sense, it's how we listen to one another. Because I cannot trust you'll even listen to if you're mistreating me or if I'm not getting a need met. If you're not listening to me, how would I ever trust to even tell you the truth? So out of that, we, out of that mutual respect, we see trust in, and openness. And if, if we're lacking in mutual benefit, we know we can talk about it because it, it will be heard. It's when it's not heard that it becomes so powerfully destructive or um, unconstructive. Many leaders are facing the challenge right now of, of workforces that are either mm-hmm. working remotely or that will continue to work remotely. And as you bring up this, mm-hmm. this idea of listening, there's such intentionality that needs to go into being able to listen to someone who is remote. Yeah, and, and it's, it's, I think it's just so powerful that through the years, I don't think that anything can, will ever take place of 
simply one-on-one conversations with leaders and followers between a manager and his or her employees uh, and to be able to pay attention at that level so that people don't feel ignored, that they know that somebody's interested in their success. They now can, they can create an open dialogue when needed. Mm-hmm. So we, we had on our list uh, to talk about the responsibility of the leader. Mm-hmm. And, and often, Edgar, the, the responsibility of the leader gets interpreted as claiming what culture they want. Uh-huh. And then what? Yeah, well, we like to use an expression that all change in growth is a re- is the result of striving for self knowledge and realizing our choices. And I think having and what we do with the true alignment work is that we we offer a um, a framework to better interpret and understand the traits and characteristics of a culture, and through that lens we can begin to assess. So that the idea of, well, what are my choices and what changes do I want to manifest as a leader or a group of leaders? We need to first understand what we have. It's much like I don't know really um, how to influence you until I, until I know myself. I can't really understand our relationship or understand you until I know myself. And so the same applies to culture. I think first we begin by understanding who we are, much like a personality typing. It's a culture type. We have to be able to break that down and really understand the nuances of the culture, how decisions are made, how people get hired, um, what conflict, what, what teamwork looks like. These are, these are all, and you just can't take a cookie-cutter approach because there's uniqueness to every culture. And being able to see it through that lens then allows us to think about it very strategically and very intentionally so that we can begin to work towards manifesting a culture and an employee or EX, employee experience, that's in alignment to and holds, holds the same thread and core as the customer experience so that people within the context of the organization or culture are treating one another and working with one another in a manner that's aligned to the customer experience. And that in of itself is a wonderful, powerfully, um, it's a powerful place to start from. So to begin with assessing it through the lens of traits, characteristics, and then really looking at it strategically. Often culture, uh, and I think we may have mentioned this here before, that there's this expression that culture will eat strategy for lunch. And we actually find that to be a fallacy because culture is strategy. It is, along with product and service development, the customer experience, the branding, um, market development, operations, financial strategies, culture is strategic. And I, th- and I think that in of itself is one of the most valuable lessons that a leader can learn. I spend a lot of time in the, in the startup world and in the, the mid-sized business. Uh, larger organizations seem to have some of this understanding, but we will say that a, a good leader of a business must spend their time working on the business instead of in the business. And so when we talk about culture, you relating culture is strategy, that's one of those things to work on for the business. Absolutely. Right? You can't just right. drop this as the culture and, and, and leave it for another manager to pick up, even though lots of is being written right now about the, the role of middle managers. But, you know, that alignment from from the leadership of the organization all the way through to the customer experience doesn't mean that culture is, and this is a, the diversity question of the day, right? Uh, 
It is. Is that it's not a one person's job. Uh-huh. It's 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 yeah. it's everyone's job, but the leader has to set the conditions. Yeah, and part of and part of setting those conditions is building a framework, a shared terminology, a shared way of articulating and communicating the culture, and a shared way of being able to influence that which we call the unacceptable and acceptable behavior, and how to go about doing that effectively. Without a framework, without a shared terminology, without a way of really understanding it, uh, it it's not going to happen. So, Edgar, one of the conversations you and I had last week was a realization to me. We were doing work with, with an organization, and, and, and you work really closely with the leadership. And, and a lot of my questions come out as, well, what's the lived experience of your employees? Mm-hmm. Um, because if what you say doesn't result in what you want it to in terms of culture, then, then what you say becomes muted in, the, in how it's listened to and heard by the employees. Yes. And, and this was interesting because, you know, another organization we were working with this week, they, they're very concerned with having an offering, setting up a program. Whether or not people attended, participated was not really part of the conversation. It was about we had this event. Right, well, let's make the offer. And uh, yeah, and, and that also speaks then, wow, there's so much in this, and this is probably an, a wonderful topic for a future, a future podcast that we'll be doing, is this idea of, you know, how does, how does that kind of design and innovation take place? And when Tom Lockwood and I, when we did the work on, for innovation, for the book Innovation by Design, uh, one of the things that we really looked at was trying to come up with a definition of the collective imagination, what really drives innovation, and to be able to utilize that in all the different forms of how you design solutions or you design programs for an organization. And we come back to those three key motivators because we define the collective imagination as participation, the pursuit of knowledge, and free expression. So you can, again, you can hear the resonance of human motivation showing up in that. And that means that it's really hard to make an offering without first asking who, who you expect to be on receiving it, what that offering may look like. It really is kind of, you know, why we have the best intentions like giving someone a gift. Think how easily we can miss the mark. So it's uh, just that in of itself becomes a, a great level of awareness to go into creating offerings for the organization that you think will influence the culture. Like, no sense in having a ping pong table or a foosball table when people are reminded that if they're not at their desks working, they're not going to get rewarded. Yeah, you know, um, because of my scientific background, everything is an experiment to me. Well, life is one big experiment. <laughs> oh, so, so true. Yeah. You know, I think for an organization to say, you know, we are interested in, in doing something to improve our culture and then offering an activity or an event and don't take the time to try and convince people to participate mm-hmm. and see who shows, yeah. s- see who plays. And I think it's some really fantastic Well, we can always feedback. make it Saturday only, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And again, and this goes back to your earlier example around Microsoft, when you think about you know, a leader getting feedback, you know, what does is, what is that really represent? And then we're, we're back to listening to the feedback, 
looking at it through the lens of what can I learn from this and doing it openly and with vulnerability, being able to hear it. And I think that's a really important aspect that's often overlooked in culture as well, is what are the basic principles of a culture? And it's about involvement, it's about engagement, it's about helping people succeed, and it's about open dialogue, open communication, and, um, and honesty at the end of the day, being truthful. So, uh, so Ken, we're reaching the end of our time here together today. Um, so any, any other thoughts, anything that you want to include in this, in this conversation? If I, if I were writing right now, I'd want to highlight, put a box around and underline and put an exclamation point uh, around something you said earlier, that culture is strategy. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So if I may, uh, just a couple of quick uh, pieces uh, for the audience out there. Next week, we're going to be joined by the author, Jack Russell, who wrote this just wonderful book about his experiences uh, going through illness and, um, in a way, his conversation with a fox as he took his, his daily walks. And just uh, I had recently had a, a wonderful conversation uh, with Russ. He goes by the name of Russ. And uh, thought based on that conversation, he'd be a wonderful uh, person to invite to the dialogue here. And, uh, and the topic is going to be a very simple statement and that is that the most significant events in our lives are unforeseen. That the most significant events in life are unforeseen. And that'll be the, the, the topic of conversation and how those events test us in a way and, and guide us, if we're open to it, to creating greater alignment in our lives and, and seeking and manifesting what, what we want most. So we hope that you'll join us again next week for that. We invite you to. And until then, this is Edgar Papke. And this is Ken Sagendorf. Thank you for joining the True Alignment Podcast.